Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. I'm Cami Milliken. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Although having a new baby is full of joy and excitement and awe, it can also be a very scary and unknown time for women. The baby blues can happen at any time during pregnancy, and women who experience this are more likely to experience postpartum depression after the baby arrives. Today, Megan Jones shares her struggle with postpartum depression after her sweet daughter was born. She discusses life as a mother of two attempting to navigate these untreaded waters of PPD, the help she sought, and the importance of giving herself grace through the process. Hi guys, I am here with Megan Jones today. Megan, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? Great. I'm so glad that you're here. So Megan, tell us just a bit about who you are. Yeah, I appreciate you um, asking me to do this and shining a light on the subject. Absolutely. I am Megan, clearly. (laughs) I'm from central Iowa and uh, I'm married to Chase. We've been married for eight years. And we have our son, Lachlan, just turned five recently. Our daughter, Elodie, just turned three recently. And I'm a self-employed cosmetologist, and I've been behind the chair for just shy of 10 years. That is fantastic. I think all of us have this desire, I think, as little girls to want to do what you do. But then some (laughs) of us just realize that, "Mm, no, better love to people who are better at this. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I... um, My parents, I think it was for like Christmas when I would have been like four, four and a half, I suppose. I got my first beauty salon. Like a lot of kids get like a little tight kitchen or tool set, you know, or workbench. Mm -hmm. And I got a salon. So (laughs) I mean, foreshadowing to your life. Yeah, absolutely. Both my grandmas were cosmetologists too. So it was like, just kind of, I, I feel like it was like, I mean, nothing is actually in our control like we think it is, but it was pretty well written in the stars. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so cool. I love that. So then Megan, let's just start by talking about you growing your family. So when did you meet your lovely husband and when did you decide to start pursuing a family? Um, I think Chase Jones and I met when I was 18 or 19. It was like right after high school, I started cosmetology school, like a month later. Um, no need to mess around. Let's just get this going. Right. And rip it off like a yeah. bandaid. Yep. And so I met him when we were both living up in Ames. And I think we dated for, I want to say it was only a year and a half, maybe two years. It was probably two years by the time we got married. I mean, when you know, you know. Yeah. And he's like a really, really good person and tolerates mm-hmm. my special brand of crazy flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a good he's a very patient man and a quiet man, which is good for me who is impatient and loud. So yeah, a good yin and yang kind of a a deal. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I was what 21 when we got married. How Midwestern, right? Uh, same. Right. Literally yes. the exact same. Yeah. 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 So um, I think you guys were at our wedding. Oh, you yes, came to we the were. wedding, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I sat I think, on I a hay bale a, with a Yep, quote. you sure did. You sure did. Yes, I love America, it. Iowa. Yes. Southeast Iowa. Um, and then we got married and uh, like then we had our niece like we were planning like oh uh four or five years of being married we'll try to have kids but then we had a niece and like we're obsessed with her and we're like we could have one of our own so we did <laughs> uh so we had Lachlan who he he actually prefers to go by Lock Monster how perfect <laughs> so Lock Monster um came around and I thought I was obsessed with my niece and oh my, like the best phrase I can come up with, with how, for how I felt about Locke when he was a wee babe was like, I was just intoxicated by him. Just like, I wanted him around all the time. Just like so infatuated, like, like little girls dream of, you know, when they become a mom, like how you're just going to like, just gaze deeply into this baby's eyes. Now, I saw the chapped nipples, the sleepless nights, got peed and pooped on, like all that jazz, right? It wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. It was For also sure. explosive yeah. baby poops but and blowouts, but it was mm-hmm. so magical to, to be his mom. Because you were, I mean, you had experienced that obsession kind of with your son. Yeah, I think it is... And I, if I'm speaking honestly here, I would say that because we started a family so young, I feel like I think Eloise was 24. Right. Or I was, Eloise was not 24. I was 24. Right. Yeah. I was 24 when I had Eloise. And so I was very young, I feel like, and lots of pressure. And um, I had a similar experience to you with your second child, but with my first. And so I remember like just now, like, because now that I'm, I'm 30 and I think maybe in my brain, since just having Clark as a 30 year old, because we decided that we weren't going to have kids until we were 30 anyways. And then, oh, hey, hey, Eloise at 24. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I'm, you, your description of how you, your experience with Lachlan is the same, is the same experience that I'm having with Clark at 30. Hmm. Uh, isn't it so great? Yeah, it is. And I am obsessed. Previously experienced the polar opposite. Yeah. Like it is, oh, don't you just like, love to just like feel your hot breath against the top of his head oh my gosh it's the it's the best and like right <laughs> that's right. Not, we're all wearing masks anyway it's fine <laughs> it's fine I do I do I I feel I I don't want really I don't want him to be out of my sight which is very polar opposite of how you felt with your second and how I felt with my first. So, so then you had Lachlan and let's talk about, you know, you being at home with him and what that looked like and how it felt for you. Yeah. Um, when, before we had him, we had always like had this idea that like I would go from working five days in the salon to like three or four. Um, so we could, so I could have that one extra day a week, just the child or children and myself, or I could use that day to like go get groceries and run errands and do household things so that our weekend, our family time would be our family time. So um, we baby wore, when our kids are little babes, they are in the Tula or the ring sling, they're in some kind of a carrier so often. And um, so I just wore him around so much and ran all the errands like a super mom. Well, 
you know, and, uh, you felt good. You felt good doing those things, caretaking. And, you know, it was, it felt like a good stress. It was like a productive, loving, like, I got to get these things done. Like you're playing mom. I mean, you are a mom, but it felt good. It felt like the, maybe kind of the make believe that you imagined it to be like when you were little. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great. And Chase and I have a really, and at that point too, had a really healthy, like, not just a marriage, but a friendship and respect for one another and, and sharing of duties. Right. So, I mean, we were kind of, I felt really on top of the world. I was just so in love with my husband, our son. I love with like a deep passion being a cosmetologist and being behind the chair. So like check, check, check. Yeah. So it kind of felt like it was coming together, this dream that you had of being a family. And so it Mm -hmm. felt really good. So then how old was Lachlan when you decided that you were going to try for a second? Um, I, I think it was around nine months old that we sat down at the table and we're like, I mean, this kind of rocks. Like we could just have our kids close together. We never like really said like, oh, we want kids 18 months apart or we want kids five years apart. It was just kind of like, whatever. But when I nurse, I don't get a cycle back. So I, and I was nursing. So we had tried, but with the understanding that it likely wasn't going to happen because I didn't have a cycle. So when I finally stopped nursing Locke, like he self-weaned himself at, I want to say 16 months. Yeah. Good for you. Way to go. That's substantial. Every different strokes for different folks. That's what worked for our family. It's no better, no worse than a day or zero days or three months. It just, that's what works so well for our family. Yeah, absolutely. You go mom. Yeah. It was a really good, um, Lachlan and I really appreciate, like, I really, I mean, he doesn't know anymore, really. He knows what breasts are used for, but he doesn't remember that obviously. But I just, I I think it was part of that infatuation Mm -hmm. with him. You know, it's the time just that, that is something that I could do for him. And I really liked knowing that I could provide that yeah. for him. Yeah. So we stopped nursing at like 16 months and then I got pregnant two weeks later. Oh, wow. So my body was my own for like almost 14 days. Almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was liberating. Yeah. Freedom. Just kidding. Great. Wow. Okay. So that's fantastic. And the ease of that for you guys was, is, is wonderful. We were really fortunate that um, we were able to conceive so quickly on our own. And we also are very fortunate that we've never had miscarriages too. So I know that that's um, infertility and miscarriage. Like those are things that so many people around us experience, but it's similar to postpartum mood disorders is something that's kind of on the Mm -hmm. DL. We don't talk about it. And it's, and I think everyone has to process it, how they, how they will, um, to best guard their heart and feel comfortable and be authentic to who they are. But we, I, I know that we are beyond blessed and fortunate to have the ease with becoming parents that we've had. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about you know, and being kind of taboo. Yeah. Like you said, I think you're right that um, postpartum mood disorders or depression is also taboo. And so um, I'm really, I'm really thankful that you're here willing to share your experience. Yeah. Yeah. A way to make it easier, right? Like if I have to go through that, then 
if I can help other people not have to get to the point that I was or how to, if I can help someone be a better caregiver for someone who is experiencing that, then that makes what I had to go through a little less sour. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so then let's talk about your pregnancy with Elodie and, mm-hmm. you know, what was going on in your head? Were you super excited? Was it something that you looked forward to? I hate being pregnant. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful that I'm able to, but my, I, my body is, I have a connective tissue disorder, so I don't have, oh. I like my, um, ligaments or tendons. I should know this, but I don't, I don't know actually what it is. They're just real loosey goosey. Right. Okay. So my body just like, it's just hard to be like physically to be pregnant. So it's painful. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't know, I didn't know about this until after Elodie was born that I had this, um, it's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and it's like more common. I think it just goes undiagnosed a lot, but I didn't realize that my pregnancies were probably a lot, like they actually probably were really, really painful. Um, I just thought I'm like a baby and being weak about like, oh, this just sucks. Like I don't enjoy it. Well, you're carrying so much weight and oh, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when anyone is pregnant, they carry a lot yeah. of extra weight and then, and then, or more weight than they're used yes. to carrying. And then, yeah, that pain. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a sudden or it's not a, it's, it's a sudden weight gain, yeah. you know, it's not like a no, gradual. So no. and then being behind way. the chair, I mean, I still worked as much as I typically standing. So I wear my cowboy boots for both of my pregnancies. I'm pretty sure like every day to work because the cowboy boots gave the best support, the best arch, the best cushion. And I wore, I mean, it's a wonder I could keep Chase off of me because I wore my cowboy boots every day to work. I wore (laughs) my compression tights every day to work, but he would have to like sometimes help me peel off because when you're so big, you can't reach to get them off. And then a back and belly brace. Mm-hmm. And Super then, sexy. <laughs> I mean, and then maternity jeans themselves which came up to under boob. Absolutely. Right? So like, I mean, I don't want to say I was looking my best, but maybe I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all the extra mm-hmm. fun things like panting and aches mm-hmm. and pains on top of it. I was, yeah. I'm sure, the most pleasant I've ever been. Absolutely. For sure. I think definitely we all feel our best when, you know, yeah. we are extra large and yeah. in charge for sure. Oh, so large and in charge. And so while I was pregnant with L girl, um, when I was seven months pregnant with her, Chase had back surgery. And so that was cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. So <laughs> Talk Chase, about that. How far along were you when he had the surgery? I, he, so he, um, I think hurt his back based on like a rough estimate of, I mean, things are pretty timed out with pregnancy and stuff. I think he hurt his back like the week after we would have actually conceived. So, oh, I don't know, without getting into too much detail, like back issues that are enough for surgery really throw off some things. So, uh, yeah, I'm thankful we were able to get pregnant before he hurt his back, I suppose. <laughs> and then, right. Me. Right. So then, surgery was when I was seven months pregnant and he had done other things like chiropractic care, physical therapy with dry needling and, um, the pain injections a couple times. And so like he 
we rapidly tried to go through things because I was like, I'm pregnant and my body's breaking. Yours can't be too. This isn't like Mm -hmm. only one of us can break at a time. We already have one child. One of us has to take care of our child. Right. Yeah. So Locke would have been um, just shy of two, I suppose. And so Locke would have been just shy of two. And because I was so pregnant and Chase had had back surgery, like we couldn't actually lift him into his crib. Um, cause Chase couldn't lift over like, um, like 15 or 20 pounds, I think for the first how many months or they call it weeks, which, okay. you know, it's actually like two months or something. Wow. And, um, that's really, uh, really tricky when you have a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. And so thankfully we live at the time we lived right in the same town as both of my parents and, um, bonus grandparents is what we consider them. They're non-biological family basically and so we Mm -hmm. were fortunate enough to have them um be able to come over and like help put Lachlan into bed um because Chase couldn't lift him in my belly like Lach was still in his crib and it was obviously dropped as low as it could and Lach liked to be laid down and of course you cater to this precious innocent baby child with with everything that they need Right. With so, your first. Like, yeah. instead of just sitting him down and saying lay down, like, we would just lay him down, but we would lay him down and he would stay down. He didn't fight it. So, like, also survival. Oh. Also, yeah. I mean, you have to do what right. you have to do. Yeah. So. Not going to shake. Yeah. You're not going to poke the bear. No. That. So, um, thankfully, the family and bonus family that we have here in town was able to, they were able to come over and kind of help the, the gaps where we couldn't. And, and I was still working two nights. Um, probably until eight or nine o'clock at night at the salon. So then Chase was home parenting solo. So we were, we're just really fortunate that we had people around that we could call on so easily um, to help out because we required a lot of assistance (laughs) at that time. That had to have felt frustrating for you too, to not really know mm-hmm. like, why am I so, why am I in such so much pain? This, I, yeah. that would kind of make you feel like a little bit crazy. Like I should, I should be able to suck this up, but right. you actually do have a physical. Yeah. When I didn't know that at the time. So I was right. definitely like some in your head beating myself up. I did physical therapy and chiropractic through my entire second pregnancy too. And I still do. Colleen would be so happy. My physical therapist would be so happy to hear that I still do some of my PT exercises Hey, <laughs> to strengthen that whatever the muscles are that she's, she went to school for a long time to know what they're called. And I just show up and right. pay the culprit. Absolutely. Here's your mm-hmm. check. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so then when you had Elodie, mm-hmm. let's talk about your experience in the hospital where you, yeah, just talk about that. So with both kids, we opted to keep them in the room with us um, except for like when we chose to circumcise so when Lachlan got a circumcision they took him to do that and kept him in the nursery for however long whatever their general requirements were or suggested timing was for that and then with L girl um, because we had had a child at home we decided like okay Lock is gonna we're gonna have a bonus grandma stay at the house with Lachlan so then Chase can spend the first night in the hospital with like me, Chase, and Al girl. And then we second night decided that like Chase would stay at home with Lachlan. And so I would be 
and like it just it felt appropriate to like also not like completely change Locke's life I guess I don't know it just it felt right for us to kind of divide and conquer that second night Mm -hmm. and because I think I was only in the hospital for two nights after I had her I think that's pretty Mm -hmm. standard and Lachlan was a really rough labor and deliver or specifically delivery I guess and Elodie's delivery was like a walk in the park in comparison and so like physically I was like I can do this like I was up walking around, having a gay old time, just, you know, whatever, calling the lactation consultants every 10 minutes because apparently nursing a newborn is like a totally different ball game than a toddler. Right. I, I, what are these hands in front of me? I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah. I just, I felt really good in the hospital for the first like little bit. But then there was, I think that second day when we had Loch Ness come visit Elle or like meet her, um, the most heart explosion ever, seeing your baby love your other baby, and like, yeah, yeah, seeing like, no, you can't squeeze her that tight, like, both of our kids are lovers, and um, they're a little aggressive with their love sometimes, mm, for sure, same, yeah, mm-hmm. and so like, okay, you can't, like, her head's gonna pop off if you do that, like, <laughs> gentle with this, you can't squeeze that hard, right, and she was born at just like six pounds, one ounce, and she didn't lose as much weight as a lot of babies do when they're born, which was great because she was so small. But um, I was like, Lachlan was still in my belly when he was this size. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing this with this little flimsy potato baby. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. uh, the time that Chase had Lachlan there and then was like when they were getting ready to leave, like Lachlan had a huge like threw a huge fit and didn't want to leave me and it was like you're in the the hospital we were at you labor and give birth and then stay in the exact same room the whole time right they just like work their magic and clean it up and make it all like not birthy <laughs> yeah it's important yeah definitely <laughs> so, that's their hearts and so we were in this room but i knew that there were people around us like in labor and delivery and like, they don't want to hear my two-year-old freaking out. And so mm-hmm. like Chase literally, like we tried to bribe lock, like, Hey, we can get a happy meal on the way home or something, or you can have like, we'll go home and see Apollo, the dog, right? Like there's just anything, or you can watch, I don't, he was obsessed with Monsters, Inc. Like I'm pretty sure my entire pregnancy, he only watched Monsters, Inc., Monsters University and Brave because that's all that Chase and I could muster up for parenting at that point, because we were both beat down. For sure. And so Chase, like, it wasn't working, so Chase just, like, had to take him kicking and screaming and and walk out of the hospital that way, and that hurt, like, physically hurt to have him taken and to see, and and the person that comforts me the most is Chase Jones, but he was gone too, and so he was left with this baby that, like, I felt I was instantly like in love with her too and just wanted to like just kiss her and love her and everything too but it was like but I don't even know her yet she's not babies aren't fun like toddlers are fun they're not crazy right. like toddlers are crazy but they don't have that fun element mm-hmm. either and so that was kind of um it just like it was a heartbreak that I didn't know I would experience and then you add that with like the lack of sleep the trying to figure out what your body is even though the delivery was easy your 
aftercare than like pushing on your stomach and uh, like yeah, if you choose like since I chose to breastfeed like that was like tricky to try to figure out too um but all, overall I would say in the hospital like other than that little bit like other than that really hard like lock and chase leaving the hospital was like I felt fine in the hospital I felt anxious like waiting for them to get back the next day to help okay. us like or excuse me waiting for chase to get back the next day and to see Lachlan once we got him back from daycare but like fine yeah it was good for you then mm-hmm. um, yeah. except for you know the heartbreak of oh yeah. gosh so then what was it like when you got home um I think it was just like exciting and new and no warm meals you know like every new family or every family that has added a baby uh to the mix and like you just sit down and then you hear the baby have a blowout from across the room you're like damn those enchiladas are so warm is it is it do I want the enchiladas more do I want to make sure that I get her in the swing cleaned up right like (laughs) Mm. the better hork it down then (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so then of course like plenty of reheated meals and I mean just the chaos of a two-year-old and a newborn but I said like just they're both lovers and Locke was smitten and so proud of this baby. We have so many videos and pictures of him trying to include her like with his play. Like one of my favorites is um, Lachlan was wearing um, like his construction hat and his goggles and trying to play like daddy right like with tools and stuff and um, he gave Elle some tools but her grip wasn't strong enough because she was so little, maybe two months old. Like, so she, I mean, her grip was strong, but she didn't give a shit about the screwdriver. And so <laughs> mm-hmm. he was like, baby cakes. Cause we called her, we call her baby cakes. Like, baby cakes. Mom, baby cakes won't play with me. And like, he was just so upset that she wouldn't play <laughs> right now. And she right now looks like she's working on a diaper too. So like, <laughs> It's just like, he just has never not been interested in her and just like loved on her. So that was another heart explosion, right? And just seeing his, his love for her made it easier Mm -hmm. to love. Like it just makes you fall deeper in love with her and with him and with Chase, because we created these two together and are choosing to, to raise them together. And yeah. And so it was just, it was fun to to see Locke's love for yeah. Elle is just super fun. And still. It's a big deal. I mean, they're also three and five. So, you know, they're three and five. Right. Now you're getting into the the fighting and the, yeah. We've been there, but they're like, when they, they're almost always together. But when they're not together, they are constantly asking if the other one is going to be back soon or where the other one mm-hmm. is. So, like, what's, I mean isn't that sibling siblinghood in a nutshell yeah yeah so. that's awesome and you've done a great job of kind of fostering that that's awesome so then let's talk about the nitty-gritty of your postpartum experience where it got hard with Elodie yeah my parents probably like fifth or when I was in probably fifth or sixth grade um, separated ended up getting a divorce and through that they saw high value on my brother and I going to a therapist, talk therapy, um, having a 
neutral third party, basically. So I am fortunate that my parents set us up for success with that. And there was no shame to it. There was like, of course, you're going to do this. Like, it wasn't an option when we were kids going through that, which I really appreciated that. I probably, I not, I should probably put that as present tense. I appreciate that now. At the time, it was like, it's just another thing to do, right? Like, it was just another chore, whatever. But it was clearly beneficial for nothing else than to set me up for a foundation to have that as a tool in my box. So um, I had continued to do that um, through that Mm -hmm. uh, middle school-ish age. And then um, shortly after Chase and I started dating, I want to say like six months after we had started dating, um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and um, she was 45 or something. And she had like, I want to say like seven different spots and two different types of cancers and had to have a double mastectomy. Um, thankfully it wasn't in her lymph yeah. nodes, but like, yeah. that's not something that you consider having to experience. Wow. And I'm a very emotional person and a very loud person, like we had already mentioned. So I told Chase, like, Hey, we've only been dating for six months and we like, we have talked about like making plans for the future and stuff together. But like, I'm about to get real crazy probably because I can't not have my mom. And then that's kind of that is dangled in front of your face when you hear that. And so it's like, if we want to just like put this thing on pause, I understand that you're what he would, if I, if I, I think I was 19. So he would have been like 23. And I was like, so you can just like, it's cool. Like, that's not something that you need to worry about. That's like, I'm going to miss school so I can take uh, my mom to her chemo. Mm -hmm. And since my parents were, divorced I wanted to be able to be present for my mom more than I would have probably if she had been married or was in a full committed relationship or you know like she didn't have that she didn't have a chase like I have so I wanted to granted my parents have done a phenomenal job of being divorced and co-parenting like my mom asked my dad if he would come to the conversation where she told my brother Chase and I that she had cancer, like, yeah, we had yeah. done holidays together and birthdays together. So there was still that, that connection between them. And I, I mean, talk about grateful. That is, we are oh, so fortunate that they can do that. But she didn't have that person. She didn't have her person, right? No Meredith and Christina kind of a, a thing. And mm-hmm. so I, I gave Chase the option to bow out and he said no. Yeah. And, and bless his heart. He, on multiple different occasions, I have a, my grandpa's old lazy boy chair and it's actually still in Lachlan's room. And I just love that chair so much. And he would just like sit in it and let me sit on his lap and just sob into his shoulder. And like, I needed a tissue and we didn't have any. And so I just used his shirt for like all my snot bubbles that a girl could possibly have when weeping over her mother's mm-hmm. illness. So, yeah. So you had had this crazy experience as, you know, a young adult and you're trying to make your way and you realize that you do have the support of your yeah significant other and your family. And it sounds like, I mean, I'm certain your dad was very helpful too. in in that time. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. then were, did you go to counseling then for that? 
Yes. Thank you for okay. Thank you for <laughs> well, that's well, it's all covered. Okay. Now I remember the question. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, um, these are all really so, big parts of our lives, you know? And yeah, I mean, it definitely does kind of shadow our future. So you go girl. Yeah. Yeah. So through, through that, my parents both encouraged us and I had no hesitations with reaching out to a counselor. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it was like the right fit. I think it was still beneficial but I don't, I didn't click with the counselor or therapist. To be quite honest, I don't know if there's a difference of title and I don't want to be disrespectful to the education and the licensing and the qualifications of people. So I'm just going to go with like sure. therapist, I guess, because I know yeah. there's different types, but right. I don't know them. So the therapist that I had seen, I'm sure it was beneficial to kind of process things aloud. I just never clicked with her. So this is after you've had Elodie. I'm sorry. No, this was with my mom. Like we, I gone. That was when I was like 19, I, I believe, or maybe, maybe it was actually. I think it was my 20th birthday. We all got together for my birthday dinner, and then that's when mom told us she had cancer. With mom, dad, my brother, myself, and Chase, and um, so it was like an easy thing to like reach out to a therapist at that point too. You've already been set up with yeah. That. And that. I didn't, I probably who I was at the time um, was more interested in like when I wasn't going to be helping my mom, like drive to her chemo. We called them our chemo dates um, because it was just the two of us girls and they got us like a little room so we could watch whatever. And just like, mom probably just tolerated me so well. I was like, oh gosh, she's still here and still talking. <laughs> um, but uh, I did not continue therapy that long at that time. But I think it's because it like, much like any service provider, um, if it's not a right fit, it's not going to be as beneficial. So I think had I had um, the right fit, it would have been excellent for me. But because I wasn't getting all I could have, I, in my opinion, right? Um, because we weren't a good fit for each other, it was easy to just kind of like drop off and like, it was whatever. Okay, now back to the bigger circle of the conversation. So then I had already been established with a therapist as like a, an adult, right? Like I had started seeing someone, I think, who I still, who I still see. So it's been probably like five years. I've, I feel like it was either short, I think it was shortly after Lachlan was born. I was like, I'm trying to figure out what my body is as like a sexual being and as a mom, right? And that was really confusing. And then trying to figure out like, yeah. I give at work. I have a lot of input and output with my job being one-on-one -on -one as a cosmetologist with a kid. There's a lot of back and forth and I yeah. am very much an empath. And so I feel it all. And because I'm we are in a private suite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have a lot of real raw conversations in the salon and I'm so appreciative of that, but it's hard for me to shake it at the end. And then Chase has needs and Lachlan has needs. And so while everything was magical and glorious, yeah. I was yeah. still like, I just needed an outlet. So I became, I met, um, I was referred to um, my current uh, therapist, Jessica, who is nothing short of a godsend. and we connected so well. And that's, I think my perspective on having a therapist that I connect with well and who can be direct with me and call me out when I need it. I think that perspective helps me see that 
the therapist I would have been meeting with at like, or when my mom was that first diagnosed, I, that's, I think that perspective mm-hmm. is the only reason at the time I didn't know that there was that disconnect, but now I can see it. Um, which I think is important to mention because I've heard so many people say like, oh, I went to therapy and it didn't really work or like, I didn't get anything out of it. And I'm like, okay, but did you like shop around a little bit? Like, did you try different therapists? Because there's just different styles and different people and different interactions and personality types and so many things. So it's not a one size fits all with anything. And that includes therapy. Mm -hmm. I was already established with Jessica by the time, like well established with Jessica by the time that L girl entered the picture. So um, I hadn't seen her for probably like six months. I think I saw her a little bit around the time like leading up to Chase's surgery, his back surgery when I was like seven months pregnant. But then I was like, we're like, now that his back is fixed and he's not in chronic pain too. Like he wasn't in constant pain anymore. And that does a lot for a person, right? And for a marriage. And so I hadn't seen her since, we'll call it like the six or seven month mark uh, of pregnancy. And then when Elle was two or three months old, we... I, I knew no one else did. I knew something wasn't right within me. Right. That I, right. Yeah. I was feeling like that intoxication that I had with Lachlan was gone. I didn't want that with mm-hmm. L. I didn't have it and I didn't want it. And the, the didn't want it was probably the like neon sign that was like, Hey, that's not how I feel about my kids. Like I want to like, eat them up I just love them so much and I don't I don't even want to hold her and I'll hold her while I'm nursing because that is what works for our family and I know it's important for her but I don't want to be around her her I mean cries are never like that much fun but like the new like baby cries were like like would just piss me off like it was just aggravating like a thorn in your side. And I, I really thought that the thing that was off would have been that I love what I do for work so, so much. So I thought, okay, well, it must be that I just miss working. And, you know, she's getting up in the night, so I must just miss sleep. And So you're trying to justify it all in your head. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like I'll be, it'll be fine when she's sleeping better. It'll be good. Um, but then she started sleeping better and it still wasn't like something was still off. And then I went back to the salon and was working and I still wasn't finding happiness and joy and things that, I mean, I was excited to get back to work because, um, that creative outlet for those of us that are creatives is a very high need. (laughs) And then like, it was also more time away from her. So like, I was super stoked, right. To go to the salon for these two giant reasons, but I knew one of them wasn't. You felt like that shouldn't be, that was a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have known that like with your experience of, if I experienced that with Lachlan with our, with our first, I don't know that I would have known that high contrast. I don't know if I would have recognized it so early. Yeah. Um, but I did recognize it and so I reached out to my therapist, um, probably around the like two, three month mark. And within the first, like, I explained to her like, oh, it's been a long time. What's up? You know, um, I explained to her what I had been feeling and with, and I bet you like 10 or 15 minutes of that door shutting and me sitting down, she started talking about postpartum depression. 
And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I value you and your opinion, but you're wrong on this one, lady. But then I like, after that appointment, like I scheduled to see her again in like, I think like two weeks, which I, I typically don't go that frequently. Like I, I go as the seasons need me to go. Yeah, absolutely. But two weeks or 10 days or something was pretty, a pretty quick turnaround for her to suggest for me. And I was like, oh, interesting. And you, in your brain, you were thinking like, this can't be because I, I do. Right. I do love my children in every sense of the word. Um, well, with so Elodie, like I was this. like, I think I do. Like, I, okay. I know that I do, but also it doesn't feel like it. I don't know. I, it's such an odd, I don't know. Like, I know that there's. Well, and it's so different for so yeah, many people. A, it just, it, it shows. In yeah, ways. absolutely. And so like, I, I got home and then before I like got out of the vehicle, I like, I probably looked it up then and then like once I got settled in or whatever, just like on my phone, but like I held it so like Chase couldn't see what I was looking up or whatever, like whatever. We both have our sides of the couch, so he couldn't have seen it anyways. <laughs> just like any good old married couple does. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I looked up like what is postpartum depression and like the first like article or the first like snippet of an article to pop up, it was like feels disconnected from baby, isn't finding happiness and this or that, and feelings of, like, not wanting to do things, at, like, extreme exhaustion, and disinterest, and yes, yes, thank you, and so, like, and I could check, ugh, like, I didn't have, at that time, I didn't have ideals of hurting myself, and I've never had ideals of hurting her, so, amen for that, like, that wasn't on my thing, but on my radar, but like everything else was, and I just, I didn't know it. And so then I was like, well, what the hell? I'm fairly self-aware, I would say, but I had no idea that that's what was actually going on. And you know, when you like your baby is a fresh babe, they have appointments every other day with a doctor, right? And on those sheets that they, there's like five questions for the primary caregiver to answer. Like at your postpartum checkup, yours? Okay. Yes. Um, well, no, for L girl, like for okay. her like two week check-in, her one month check-in, her six week or two month, whatever it is. Like, you know, you have to take them in like 50 yeah. million times in yeah. the first year, um, <laughs> roughly, <laughs> give or take. Yep. Yeah. Um, but on those, those sheets, it's always like, how are you feeling? Have you ever felt helpless? Have you had thoughts of hurting yourself? Like all these questions and you know how to answer them. You know exactly what they're asking for. You know what the right answer is and what the answer is that's going to like get you the wrong kind of attention, right? And so you answer them like, nope, everything's all hunky-dory, but I don't want to hold her. I don't want to look at her. I'm not even sure I like her. So, But we're not going to talk about that. Right, yeah. right. And because there is, yeah. And I am fortunate that our, our pediatrician actually used to do her hair. And so like, there's a relationship there between our pediatrician and I. And so she didn't even Good. know what was going on as like a guest of mine or oh. as the caregiver for our children. That's such a scary thing about mental illness. Like, you know, Oh, oh yeah. That's the scariest thing about it. Because oh yeah. People have no so idea undetected. until I told yeah. them. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now, bless her heart, um, she's also a rock star. Now at the appointments, like when our kids go in for their just like well child or whatever, she still says like, 
how are you doing? How's your anxiety? How are you feeling okay? Like, and she is very direct with it, which I appreciate because I feel like if she would have, and it's not on her, I'm not trying to say that, but I feel like if someone would have looked directly at me in the eye and like been very like squared on and said, how are you actually doing? It would have waterworks and here's how it is right yeah, yeah. and because yeah. it's so easy to be like well I've got a newborn and a toddler so life's kind of crazy right and I like to go to humor easily like that's a very easy mm-hmm. diversion so that's what I would do but um, I really appreciate that our pediatrician has like continued to check in on me at our children's well child checks because she's just a really good human too so any that that was a that was a whole different mm-hmm. tangent but Dr. Josh is the best. Yeah. That sounds like it. No, but that's important to know. So then you became aware of these, you became aware of this feeling that you were having. You Mm -hmm. were seeing a therapist for it. So when did you start to look at this as a growing experience or when did you kind of start to heal from this? Well, first I feel like before I can talk about like healing, I, I need to share that like it was really hard to have the conversation with my husband with my mom with my dad with I call them my safe people um people that I can just be any old version of myself that I have to give that day and they're still going to know and love me right so having those conversations was really uncomfortable and like super duper uncomfortable because uh, I'm an Enneagram three with a wing four. So I'm an achiever. So I need to be on top of it. And the way that I earn love and earn it, it's not just given to me. I have to, I, I, my inner workings are like, I need to earn your love through, um, the things that I can do. I need to, I need to earn them or your love. And by admitting that I need help isn't earning it and not just help from going to a therapist. That is a very easy thing for me to go to a counselor, a therapist, But to say, mom, dad, friend, whoever it may be, I need help with this. And I think it's hard, excuse me, for anyone to ask for help. That's not unique to me. So admitting that there was something going on and that I needed help, tangible help with caring for myself was um, really, really hard. And then also, because no one knew, Chase didn't even, I don't think he even really knew because I can do a decent job of hiding it. And it came as a shock, I think, to everyone because I'm not- You were, you didn't seem to have changed. You had No, I just kept kept trucking along, but they didn't know that I felt like I had a 500 pound weight on my chest every morning when I got out of bed. And that I wouldn't be able to fall asleep until who knows what time. And that LOD made my skin crawl when I would hold her. So those are things that no one else knows. That's in our dialogue. If I didn't share that with them, how would they have known? Right. So. Um, because like you said, like, you know, the boxes to check. So like when, yeah. when, when you're like physical being, right. um, when you're sharing space with someone, you also know those red flags to stay away from and like, you yeah. can tag them in your brain. And so you're like, no, I need to socially, this is what is this, uh, expected of me. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I think too, as a cosmetologist and makeup artist, I can appear put together. Like I, I mean, that's, I enjoy doing that. Right. So 
if I have my hair and makeup done, I'm fine because only only sick people look sick, right? But average that's my favorite when when you don't wear makeup and people are like, Are right? you sick? Exactly. And you're like, No, just my face. That's how I look. Right. <laughs> so you so you know to avoid that. Yeah. yeah. So if you're still yeah. doing your hair and makeup like you typically would, you look fine. You're interacting okay. I mean, why would anyone think any different? Yeah. I wasn't allowing people to see that because I didn't want to. I wasn't even aware of it. And then once I was, it was, at first I would say like more than anything, I was just confused mm-hmm. because I had never, I didn't experience that with Lachlan. So why would I have that with Elodie? Mm-hmm. And well, because it's also your second child and typically it feel that it might feel like, well, if I'm supposed to have this, then I would have already had it. Right. And, yeah. yeah. Like there's so many questions and just confusion, just confusion, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. and anxiety and all these negative feelings. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And especially when one of my best girlfriends was going through infertility treatments. And so to, I tell you what, she is a, an amazing human that she never made me feel. She's one of my safe people. So she never made me feel a certain kind of way for confiding in her about what I was going through. But I felt unworthy, I think is maybe a good word, of the emotions and the feelings and the dialogue that no one else got to hear. Because here I have this healthy, this healthy baby that so many people want and an incredible friend and our awesome husband can't have that. And it just really messes with you to to have something that someone else wants but not want it even though you know it's a gift and it's a great thing and Mm -hmm. i don't know irony maybe i don't know but it's just it is pretty rotten to feel repulsed by this baby that your friends are spending hours and procedures and i i can even imagine how much money in the shots two two times a day or whatever to hopefully be able to have what i have in my hands and so I, that was definitely part of the confusion too, is really? like, yeah. how can I have this baby, but not even want her? And the, I don't know, there's like some kind of a, like, I think people just generally like, yeah, we love babies. Right. Um, but like the infatuation for a baby compared to like, yeah. the, the like, oh, cutesy, hi baby. Like at the, that you pass in the grocery store. I knew the difference because I had had one with Lachlan. I had had the like infatuation with Lach, but like the passerby love basically for that I had for Elodie was so different and my, and I couldn't get myself to get to that infatuation stage mm-hmm. or that kind of love with L and that's all my friend wanted. Mm-hmm. So then you also have that feeling on top of it, the guilt, it's layered. Oh man, it's it's like a yeah. 20 layer cake or something ridiculous, like a big yeah. 1980s wedding cake style of emotion and feelings. So then how did you how did you get to the to the point of healing with Elodie and um what did that look like for you? Yeah, I chose to um once I realized what was going on. Um, within myself, I, and like had started sharing with like my close, my, my safe people. I joined a small group in my church, like a, a women's small group. And it held me accountable to some other place that my kids weren't allowed, that I wasn't the service provider. 
I wasn't the wife. I was just me. And like, once you're a parent, you're, you're always a parent no matter what. Right. And so like a lot of our conversations did revolve around our kids, but it wasn't, it was a very, like, there were some real raw conversations and it was. So it helped to like commune with other people who were other women. Yeah. And once I started talking about it, I realized that I wasn't the only one in that room that had, has experienced Mm -hmm. postpartum mood disorders. And that, I mean, there is some kind of odd comfort in knowing that someone else has experienced something similar, even though it's such a shitty thing that you wish upon no one else. Mm-hmm. And it, there is something comforting about it that you you don't feel like alone. And ev- even though everyone's situation was different, there's some kind of comfort to it. Yeah. yeah. So I joined, I joined the small group and I'm still weekly. I mean, we do it over Zoom now, of course, but we're still meeting weekly. And then I started doing yoga three times or yoga twice a week and sound healing meditation once a week, which that was a new thing for me. You basically lay down Mm -hmm. and they play the song, the singing bowls, I think is what they're called. And the gongs and the like wooden flute. Yes. Yes. It is some hippie stuff, but I cannot get enough of it. There is, there is no nap like a sound (laughs) healing meditation nap. It is like 45 minutes of nothing in a Mm -hmm. dark room except for these instruments that were being played. It was incredible. So you were able to find healing with the with people and then also with mm-hmm. music and meditation. Like it within myself, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say my prayer life cranked up to a whole different level mm-hmm. at that point um, because I would use that sound meditation time. Like I would work on like praying through things and I don't know like if it's a good thing or bad thing right but like when I like go into prayer for like a long time I end up drifting off I fall asleep and I think that's pretty common yeah you're shaking your head like you okay good and um but and so I kind of felt like weird about it but then someone was it I don't know if it was one of our pastors or a friend at small group someone within our church was like well if your kids fall asleep when you're reading to them or you're just snuggling you've done your job like the, they are the most comfortable then. And I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So prayer in that sense is like a lullaby and I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. It's still beneficial. Well, yeah. And yeah, you're in that space where you feel safe yeah. and comforted and yeah. yeah. So between, I mean, because yeah, prayer is meditation. It's, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. people like to say this or that, but it can definitely be both. And so between small group and yoga and meditation and going to my therapist regularly like every two weeks for some time um and it wasn't it wasn't just the disconnect from LOD that was upsetting it was all the offshoots that came of that like I had mentioned with my girlfriend dealing with infertility um my mom is like it's like Jesus and then Teresa I'm pretty sure is like like the hierarchy of best humans that have ever walked the face of this earth. Um, And (laughs) so she chose to help with services basically. So she, she would um, get the kids from daycare and then like bring like on Tuesdays um, and then bring them home and somehow manage to cook, package up leftovers, clean up and tidy up and get the kids like baths. And then sometimes she would 
do extra cleaning or fold the laundry or start the laundry, which I don't know how Chase felt about his mother-in-law like washing his underwear, but I didn't have to do it and he didn't have to do it. So I guess it's a big old W, right? Absolutely. Fly it. Yeah. Right. Yes. So like there was a lot of guilt around like allowing my mom, who is a go, go, go kind of person. She doesn't have a blank second on her schedule ever because that's how Trini runs. And so to not feel guilty for accepting her assistance. Well, because you're supposed to earn it, right? You're still like, that's how. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I did nothing to earn it. I'm her daughter. Which you don't have to earn anyway, because you're her daughter. I know. You know, I know. We get in our heads. As a mother, I know that. But I I just, it felt very one-sided. I had nothing to give her. And she was giving me everything. Mm -hmm. Which is hard to, which is hard to accept when you do kind of function that way. And you you know, your, your headspace is, is there. Yeah. Yeah. So I had mentioned that to my therapist. And so Jessica reminded me that by using my energy on guilt for having my mom's assistance, it was dishonoring to my mom's assistance. And right. And then, and then see, and that's where Jessica is like, just the best. Cause then she was also like, if Elodie was hurting, would you not go out of your way and do everything you could to help her? Even if she gave you nothing back. Yeah. And I was like, of course I would. She's my daughter. And she was like, yeah. Did you hear yourself? She was like the perfect amount of like sassy and compassion all in one with that conversation. And I, it was so necessary for me. Making it tangible for you to, to be able to swallow so that you could kind of digest exactly what it is that your mom was doing for you because you would do the same thing. Yeah. And I think like as a mother, she can't fix me. She, I mean, we cannot fix or a parent in general, but I'm coming as a mother. Right. So I, if my kids are emotionally hurting, there's only so much I can do. I cannot take their hurt away, but I can do other things like to take stuff off of their plate. And that's what my mom Mm -hmm. was doing. And I was ashamed that I needed that and uncomfortable with the fact that I was providing nothing in return um, until Jessica whipped me into shape and I processed it and worked through it more. I don't know that there was an exact moment of when like everything that I had been doing. I also want to mention, I definitely did eventually get on medicine. So that helps. But like acknowledging the fact that like, I was, or I was not bringing honor to all my mom's kindness and love through her works, right? Um, by feeling yeah. guilty for it. Like, ego, step mm-hmm. to the side, just accept this love. Yeah, and that works, it works in parallel with the way that you kind of operate anyway. Okay, so like, I'm not, I'm not earning this love, but the way that I can feel like I'm earning it is to accept it and to embrace it because... In that regard, I am allowing my mom to love me by doing these things, but I am earning that love by letting her do those things. Crazy. Mm -hmm. And we had so many people, we had so many people helping us once, like they, once they knew that I wasn't well, we had so many people helping us. And so my mom is not the only one that was stepping up and doing extra things for us, but she was doing so, so much. So what then, you talk about the support system that you had Mm -hmm. and you have to this day. 
Yes. What then would your advice be or encouragement be to people like support people of those who are, you know, struggling with a postpartum mood disorder or depression or anxiety? So for the support people, I would say, I don't know how to word it exactly. Like be invasive with your <laughs> demands of like, tell me what you need. I want to do something for you. Like relentless and continue to offer and continue to check in. And everyone checks in on like new families with like, oh, how's the baby doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's super rare in my experience for someone to say, Megan, how are you? Yeah. And with Lachlan, I didn't need that. But with LOD, I desperately did. And I didn't know that I needed that until I was out of, until now that I'm out of it, right? So being a person that is just a shoulder to cry on, a person to talk to, a person to just be around because sometimes like it's exhausting to to be going through a lot of therapy and working through a lot of like weird stuff while you're trying to get well and then have to like continue to talk about it but sometimes that's what you need is you need to talk about the weirdness and like kind of I'm an external processor so I cannot untangle all the wires without saying it out loud so Sometimes I needed that, but sometimes I just needed to step away and say, I got to give myself a break to wear the different types of hats when I needed that or when the person needs that would be super helpful. The way my mom was able to, my love language is also acts of service. So mom, like cooking for us and helping us clean extra and like encouraging us to go on date nights. So out so that we could have time as a husband and wife, all of those acts of service that's probably part of the reason I get so weepy when I talk about my mom and my healing um, is because she just did it and did it so just like ruthlessly. She just like, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. Selfless, like a selfless love, self-sacrificing. Yeah. Yeah. Which mothers love 101. Yeah. Right. But it's as an adult, it's, it was hard to accept it, I guess, but I do think I, I just briefly touched on it when we talked about like what I did to be like to get well. Mm-hmm. I did on medicine. I tried to do it without medicine. Just I just wanted to see if I could, I think. And I also kind of wonder if me saying I needed medicine was admitting defeat, that I couldn't do it on my own. And I'm not mad at myself for choosing to wait three months to get on medicine. But unfortunately, things had to get really, really bad and really scary for me. Um, before I said I need medicine and I'm eternally grateful that that was offered to me immediately through my therapist and that decision was 100% supported by everyone that I talked to about it and and when I told my therapist I'm right I need the medicine I I'm getting to a point that I I cannot not have it so thankfully I was able to um, call my I think I ended up getting it from my OB because the psychiatrist was bugged out like seven weeks or something. I was like, I I don't think I can wait. I don't know what will happen. So thankfully I was able to get on medicine like that next week. I think within a few days I had medicine and it takes a while to build up, but waving it to me, it felt like waving the white flag, Mm -hmm. right? Not in a bad way necessarily, but just all these things that I had been doing had helped, but I needed more. And mood disorders, whether it's connected to postpartum or not, a lot of times it is a chemical imbalance. So that makes sense that you would need medicine to help 
onsen. Yeah. And so I'm thankful that I was able to have that resource at no additional fee, really. I mean, a few bucks, but that is totally tangible, totally doable for our family. And um, I'm thankful that I had so many resources to be well. I had so many different things that helped me, but the medicine, I am almost positive was the, it wasn't the initial help, but it was the, the thing that probably did the most impact but all those other things helped too. Yeah. I mean, it was very holistic. I mean, like yeah. you hit all of the areas, you know, you had your support, you were able to visit with your therapist. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you had, you had support from all sides, which is so wonderful. Yeah. And the medicine was the lip cream and the cherry on top of a Sunday, right? It's not quite complete without it for me. Yeah. And I didn't feel like a way about taking medicine. Like if people need to take medicine, absolutely take medicine. If that's going to make you feel good and be the best you, then absolutely do it. But I wanted to just delay that for a minute to see if I could like do it on my own, which maybe that ties back to like, I have to earn things and stuff too, right? Like there, damn it. We just, we just hit something, didn't we? Uh Uh-oh. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Thank you. I have an HSA now, so it's going to be a hefty bill. I'm positive. I'll send you a bill. I'm kidding. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) No. Yeah. I was thinking that I really was. Yeah. Yeah. I never realized that until right now. Well, shoot. Yeah. No kidding. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Cammie. You're welcome. (laughs) So, okay. So then um, what would your encouragement or advice be to moms who are like you and I, where we just, we hit it, we hit it really mm-hmm. well. And, um, you know, we're, you're, you're facing those, those thoughts, um, on your own. What would your encouragement be to a mom who is maybe thinking of like, okay, this sounds like me, maybe I have postpartum. Yeah. Um, I would say like when it's postpartum depression, anxiety, psychosis, right. There's like three generally, Yep. Different ones. Not that they can't all interweave and be a combination deal. I mean, sometimes you can hit the jackpot, right? Mm-hmm. But like not being well is out of your control. Yeah. But getting well is, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. It is still, Cody is three years old and there's still things that I don't realize that upset me from back then. There's a, an association between random things. Yeah. Like, but being well is possible. It's hard work, but you can do it. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know that if someone was like, you have to get well for Elodie, she needs you. I don't know that I would have been like, right. Like, okay, whatever. I don't really like her. I'm not super connected. So yeah, not, not a great starting. But like saying like, you need to get well because Lachlan needs you. That, that is something I could have held on to at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But I also like, you wouldn't have, have had that because you didn't have that other perspective. Mm-hmm. So, right, right. If you can look at it from like you need to be well for yourself. Like allow yourself this selfishness and that's even such a bullshit way to put it because it's not selfish to take care of yourself. That is survival. That is necessary. But allow yourself like the extra time with the kids at yeah. daycare so you can go do x y and z whatever is going to be in your arsenal for healing don't not do it because you have other responsibilities. You are your number one Mm -hmm. responsibility. You know what? Actually, Chase was so smart um, when it came to me being well. He's like, you know, when you're on an airplane, you have to put your 
if something's happening, you have to put your mask on first on an airplane before you can help someone else. And I had not heard that analogy in this sense. Um, And I was like, oh, damn, Chase, look at you go. Chase Jones. Right in the house. So (laughs) that I like that helped give me some perspective too, because if you're only outputting you, you're not going to have... Eventually, you're going to run out. Yeah, there's nothing going to be left in your cup to give to anyone else. And then what, right? So Right, exactly. Um, and I would say, so Ephesians 4.32, mm-hmm. be kind and compassionate to others. And if you replace others with yourself. Oh. We actually, I had a friend who does like the hand lettering and beautiful wording, right? Um, I actually had her paint that and it's hanging in our kitchen now. And it's a pretty good size canvas that she painted it on because I, I really clung. I needed to cling to that because I was so, there's a lot of shame associated with not feeling connected to a child that you not only carried, but you birthed and that is healthy and you still want nothing to do with her. So kindness and compassion. I feel like I'm pretty good at giving that. Because your acts of service. Right. Yeah. So I feel like I'm good at giving that to others, but dang, if I can beat up on myself good or something, I mean, I like take the gloves off and just go at it. Right. But when I saw that, I was like, Ooh, if I am others, if I am be kind and compassionate to others, then be kind and compassionate to myself. Like that, that kind of well, and the verse goes on. To, so uh, I think it's uh, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I taught my daughter that uh. when she was like four, but forgiving one another. So if you replace that, forgive yourself. Yeah. It, uh, yes. There's so it, Just as God through Christ has uh, forgiven you, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that replacing replacement. I had to like, I had to actually like, I mean, I didn't have to, it's also just beautiful. And the way my girlfriend painted it or wrote it out, however she made it happen, it was just, it's beautiful, but I had it up in the kitchen. So I would be forced to see it Mm -hmm. and it was hanging up at the kids preschool or excuse me at like in the church. So like I saw it there all the time too. And it's one of those things that it's like, it may as well have had like bar signs, like neon signs all the way around it saying like, (laughs) Hey Megan, right here. Yeah. Be kind to yourself, Mm -hmm. be kind to one another. Mm -hmm. And you know what, even if you don't, and I say this a lot, but even if you don't, I mean, if you're listening, you don't buy into Jesus, you can certainly buy into that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of non-Jesus-y ways to love others and love yourself. I, I don't believe that Jesus makes or breaks someone's compassion and kindness at all. And I think that would be very ignorant to believe that that's the only reason people are kind and compassionate. So it's experience. Yeah. Also anniversaries are speaking to someone who's going, going through it, or even to someone who has someone that they care going through postpartum mood disorders. Like I wasn't aware of how hard anniversaries are. So like Elodie and I actually have the same birthday. So she was born on my 28th birthday, I think. Wow. Yeah. And or 27th. 27th because I'm 30 she's three that makes sense 27 um (laughs) I use a scale and a calculator when I'm mixing up you know it's easier that way and I (laughs) I do grams not years so um (laughs) so it's my birthday it's her birthday too like double the excitement but her first and second birthdays well our birthdays but really as when you're a parent 
it's, it's her birthday. Mm-hmm. And, um, it w- those were really hard yeah. days or weeks probably because it was associated with her actual birth date, the day she was born. Yeah. And that was like the last time that I was well. And before my life got put onto a different path because of the postpartum um, mood disorder, like the depression with a splash of anxiety just for fun. A little splash, a little zest. Yeah. And like her birthday anniversary. And then like Christmas is when her birthday anniversary, her birthday. And then like Christmas was when things got really, really bad around Christmas time. And that's when I reached out to my therapist saying that I needed to find medicine because things were going, mm-hmm. had gone, just got really, really bad. So Christmases were really hard. And then you throw in some like seasonal, like darkness because we live in Iowa and it's light for like three hours a day in the winter. That's just hard. And it's cold. And Chase right. and I are not like, we're not cold weather people. You're even up North, more North than, yeah, that's yeah. Yes. Up in the North. It's real, the north. Yeah. real cold, real dark. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So like you add that on top of it. And so I think I I hadn't anticipated how difficult her birthday and Christmas time were going to be this year, like Elle's Elle's birthday and my birthday is in July. So we just had our birthdays a month ago. And this was the first year that I didn't actually think about it. And it was her third birthday. And I think that that, like, once I realized that it kind of like, it just felt good. Yeah. Yeah. That her birthday wasn't associated to me feeling like shit. Yeah. And helpless and hopeless. So that was exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And you know, it, it, there's an end, there's an end in sight. And I think that's encouraging for anyone who is going through any sort of pain. Yeah. It might not necessarily go away, but in, in an interview that I had I shared with someone the pain just it's just in a different way it's not necessarily pain anymore it just shows up in a different way so like it's not necessarily I don't believe in closure I don't think that that's an actual thing I think it's just a an easy way out or a way that we can kind of you know tell people to get over it and so I don't believe in closure I think that our emotions just change and shift and we adjust so so that is good to know that there is an end in the way that we are feeling right now it will not always feel like that no and I think that's refreshing and encouraging for people especially yeah totally and I think it's like I still like I mean, through this conversation, I have like had hits of like how I felt. And so like part of the tears are the appreciation Yeah, that I'm not there. Yeah. And, and a sadness for myself mm-hmm. because that's not what I had anticipated. I mean, how childish does it sound, but it's just not fair. Damn it. It's just not fair. Elodie's newborn and baby stages mm-hmm. and Lachlan's two-year-old stage. I don't remember a lot of it. I think that's my body's way of like trying to help is I just don't have a lot of memories from yeah July 2017 to however long because it's been tainted you know and and it's not your fault like that's the thing I know and right and so I'm pissed off that I can't recall so much of that time but I'm also there's a part of me that's thankful because that was so bad and I don't want to probably fully remember because it was so dark but then the sweet things, like I, I did take a lot of pictures and videos of the kids at that, like when I wasn't well. Yeah. And part of it is because if you post the same kind of things online, if you share on so- your social media accounts, how much you are in love, I mean, it's just the facade, right? So if you continue to do that, nothing is wrong. 
I'm thankful that I was so obsessive with taking videos and pictures because I can remember through those. Like if you look back at your childhood photo yeah. like albums, it's kind of like that, like, I don't remember exactly, but it's kind of a mirage of a memory. It's powerful. Yeah. The mind is crazy powerful. And, and it sounds like you had the support from a very young age to, to be able to kind of build upon, you know, Mm -hmm. and identify, like you said, you do believe that you're self-aware and even, you know, like you said, even though I was self-aware, I still didn't realize this about myself. And so I think that's, I think it's awesome that you have that support from a young age. I'm, I think it's awesome that you have that support now and that you were willing to do whatever it took to get well for yourself. Yeah. And then now looking back, you're like, oh, wow, that thankfully we're moving past it. Definitely. Okay. So last thing, what would be your encouragement to anyone who is listening? Just some like final thoughts or some words. I think that just remember that it's okay to receive help. Any different avenue that that comes, that is necessary to accept that help. And it's a huge process (laughs) to heal and to get well, but it is doable and acknowledging it and getting the help before it is too far, whether that be hurting yourself or your your child, because that is part of postpartum mood disorders. Unfortunately, it is very much connected to the child and Mm -hmm. it is hard to experience that, but it's also like you can't work through it if you don't acknowledge it. And Yeah. And I would say um, checking in on new family, like families with new babies. I don't personally think it matters if that baby is biological or not. That family has just had their world flipped upside down. So checking on the baby and all the fluff and all that fun Mm -hmm. stuff, but like also being very direct and saying, I need to know that you're okay. How are you doing? Assuming that you have a relationship, right? You can't just like randomly find someone and be like, you have a newborn. How's your mental health? <laughs> right. Boundaries. <Don't> be <laughs> right. Or maybe do. Maybe that's what people are into. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so like I, when I have people that I love that are close enough, not the creepy distance of people, but people that I have a connection to a relationship with, yeah. I give them a few months because it's all like so much hoopla right around the baby being born or being brought home. And then like things kind of like simmer. And then you're like, wait, but I still have this baby, this human to care for. And I don't know what I'm doing. I think it's going to be interesting to see some statistics on postpartum depression, mood disorders, anxiety. I'm interested to see how the pandemic has affected that because the the shift in how babies are born and the support that people are allowed to give, you know, whether that's, you know, the family chooses that or whatever, but it has shifted. I mean, so crazily. And so I'm curious to see some statistics, you know, in a couple of years on postpartum during this time. We're ever grateful that we have birth control right now and have chosen to not have any more kids because I don't, it's not a guarantee that I would get postpartum again, but I think once you have it, you're at a higher likelihood to get it. Now, granted, you'd probably recognize it sooner and be more apt to getting help sooner. If it happened a second time, I am so thankful because I, if I would have had Elodie and the experience that I had after giving birth to her during a global pandemic where our lives are so limited in our interactions and just the way the world works is so different right now than it was a year ago even yeah nine months ago even really I 
found an article that was written by one of the labor and delivery nurses that I had about like the fourth trimester basically. And I read that and I was like, oh man, like it gave so much good insight on how to be there um, for people. But if you cannot physically be there, you can still be there in different ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can still. Well, for example, yeah, we had people bring us you know, groceries and just set them like un, unsolicited people would just bring us groceries. And they like, I have a sweet group of friends mm-hmm. that brought us groceries and they set it on our front stoop. And then I had another sweet friend who would bring things for my kids to play with my, you know, the big kids to play with. And she would just like set it in front of the garage or uh, people would drop off like a cup of coffee for me or just like sit outside of the door. Right. The nectar. I mean, yeah, it was, <laughs> Those, those are things, those are tangible things that people can do now. You know, if you, if you are distancing yourself because Mm -hmm. you have a newborn. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know. And I I know that a lot of people aren't necessarily distancing themselves and that's, that's another thing you can, I mean, to each their own, I guess, but yeah, I mean, there are lots of things you can do to support new families. Yeah. And you, I guess like through this, you do have to consider the, we call it the germ virus in our house. Mm -hmm. So you have to consider the risk of the germ virus compared to the risks of isolation. Mm-hmm. And we have chosen to be fairly locked down and keep to ourselves. Yeah. We are a little social, but not near the extent that it, it has definitely, we are, our lives are still changed right now. We're still limited. But if I was in the position and trying to get well, mm-hmm. like I was three years ago, I don't know that I would be that locked down. I think I would need to have more flexibility with the restrictions on our family that we've put in. Yeah. And knowing yourself and respecting yourself enough to Mm -hmm. know what you need and be able to, hopefully if, you know, you're in a a healthy enough relationship that you can, you know, express those needs and they will be respected. And there's, and that's another whole, that's another episode, you know? Yeah. Because supportive spouses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you had a supportive spouse. I don't know what it would have looked like if Chase would have been like, oh, that's just, you're just blowing smoke. You're fine. That's not a real thing. Mental health isn't actually health, you know, like that. kind. Because right, some right. people do have that. People deal with that. Yeah. And I am so thankful that Chase never once through this entire thing has never once discredited anything I've shared with him. He might not understand yeah. it because he's never experienced it. Likewise, I can't fully understand things that you've gone through because I've never experienced things that you've gone through and same with people listening to me speak. Yep. It is so probably yep. abstract. Some of what I've talked about to people who have not gone through it, but he's never once discredited my experience. But I think that for your part, yeah, that yeah. goes back to being kind and compassionate, right? Mm-hmm. That there's so much that can be tied into that verse and this situation and so many other situations. I like that. I'm going to always forever remember that about Ephesians 4.32 as well. Yeah. It's I, a good reminder. That was a good crutch to lean on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sharing your story in your heart and um, your tears and your humor. Heart and tears. <laughs> your heart and tears and your humor and your lovely personality. Yeah. I'm going to attach... Megan's Instagram at the bottom of the description. So if you feel like you want to reach out or maybe you don't know who to reach out to, um, or maybe, you know, you can also reach out to me because I have also experienced postpartum anxiety. So, um, yeah, make certain that 
If you are listening and you are experiencing these things, maybe secretly or quietly, know that you are not alone and there are many people who would be willing to help. Yes. There was a, a Netflix documentary that, because I couldn't bring myself to say the words to Chase. So I actually mm-hmm. had Chase watch. Yeah. I had watched it. Yes. Oh, yeah, I had right. watched. Um, yes. I don't know if it's still on Netflix or not. Um, it was called When the Bow Breaks. It, oh, yeah. Okay. You look it up, sister. I'm going to look it yes. up right now. When yep. the Bow Breaks. It was a documentary style movie why do i say that it's it's a documentary (laughs) um and it followed (laughs) around it interviewed probably through the course of it a dozen women that have had different postpartum experiences and they didn't sugarcoat it and i watched it by myself and basically wept through the whole thing because so much of it was relatable and then that night after we got the kids put to bed i had chase watch it with me so because i couldn't I was still trying to understand mm-hmm. and I couldn't say the words to him because I didn't even understand the words that I needed to say. So I had Chase watch when the bell breaks and I was like, I feel that. Mm-hmm. And that's me. And, and then we just sat there in silence for a little while and had yeah. a, a very minimal word conversation, which is so on par for my, my beautiful husband, <laughs> <laughs> but it was silence from a position of absorbing it. And, and, trying to understand and I that was the type of support that I think I needed from him in that moment so I probably should have mentioned that earlier but I totally drew a blank but that was very helpful and if it's not on Netflix you can find it online I'm sure something it's not on Netflix I but if you can rent it like on Amazon for like a dollar 99 or if you have Amazon Prime I'm sure you'll be able to just watch. yeah and if someone needs a dollar 99 please let me know and I'll give you my debit card information because it's so (laughs) beneficial (laughs) And that money, if that's going to help you in understanding yourself or having someone else understand you. Right. Just, yeah. If you don't know how to use your words and say, you know, this is how I'm feeling without feeling like you're sounding crazy. Yeah, for sure. I'm so appreciative that you're taking the time to do this whole podcast with shining light on so many different stories and walks of life. But this one is so hard for so many people and it's so relatable for so many people. It's so common, but it's, yeah. And so I'm really thankful that you've created a safe place for people, specifically women, right. To come to, to hear a different walk of life or to find someone to relate to, because there is power and security and comfort in a relatable conversation. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you're, you're going out of your way. You're taking your time and your resources to provide this for so many of well, us. Well, thank you. Because so many people are benefiting from your labor of love. Uh, it really is. I love this so much. I yeah, I love it. I love it so much. So I'm so glad that people like you are willing to share your experience so that we can destigmatize all of these different issues and, you know, share virtual space with one another, if, any, if nothing, you know, more. Right. So yeah. Thank you for being here and sharing, Megan. This has been awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Bee Podcast this week. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Make sure to click the link in the description to join the Hive membership for only $5 a month. Join me in an exclusive mission to see that all stories everywhere are shared. And don't forget to rate and review our pod so that all women everywhere can find us, be encouraged, and be inspired. Again, thank you so much for listening. Screenshot this week's episode and share on your social media to bring awareness to this project. I'll catch you next week. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.